This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Wonderful singing, wonderful day of fellowship. For all that prepared food, thank you. It was delicious, enjoyable, and just getting to visit was, was a treat. And so very glad that we got to be here and be, for, uh, be part of that and, and get to know you a little bit better. This afternoon, we're going to continue the studies on elders and deacons. We're going to focus this afternoon on those character traits that we find in Timothy regarding deacons and the wives of officers, both elders and deacons' wives there, and look at these. And we're going to try to take a similar approach to it, that yes, each and every statement that is made is important. Each trait that is laid out makes a difference and matters, and we're not going to overemphasize or underemphasize, but we want to look at them in a collective as painting a character of a deacon. Before we get into that, I want to say this about the work of a deacon or about the role of a deacon. We don't need to think of the deacon as a lesser office than the elder. We don't need to think of the deacon as a junior elder or an elder in training. The scriptures present the office of a deacon as a unique work, as an important work, as a work unto itself. It's a blessing that God gave his body to help serve the body that it might fulfill the mission that God gave the body. And so as we look at this, let's not think of this as, well, these are the guys that couldn't quite make it to elders, so we're going to make them deacon. That's not at all a biblical picture of it. It's a work unto itself, and we need to keep that in our focus as we're painting this character of these individuals. If you've got a Bible, if you turn there to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read verses 8 through 13, and then we're going to kind of do the same thing that we did this morning, put them into some groups that help us see the overall picture of the character. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning there in verse 8, the Bible says, Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. And let these first be proved, and then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchased themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So we don't have Titus giving us a comparable list, but we've got this here, and it paints this picture. And you'll notice there's some things in this list that are very similar to what we saw uh, for the character of an elder, but there's some things that are a little bit different missing. And I would submit to you that those differences that we see point to the differences in the work of these offices that God is calling to. When we look at these character traits that we're talking about, they have a direct tie to the work that's being uh, done by that office, if you will. An elder, for example, we noticed, was to be skilled in teaching. That's not meant in the qualifications here, if you will, or the character picture that's given for a deacon. That doesn't mean that a deacon can't be engaged in spiritual work. He certainly can be a teacher. He can help in various teaching roles, whether from the pulpit or in community or amongst the church, but that's not a requirement for his work to be carried out as it is a requirement for the work of an elder. And so that's why we see some of these differences. And we're going to group them similar to what we grouped them today. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this first section because we 
spent a lot of time on it this morning talking about the family. And once again, we're going back to that family and looking there for that core relationship and how this man carries himself. We have that same statement that we found for an elder that a deacon also must be the husband of one wife. And we won't belabor this all again, but we know that that means a one-woman man, a man that's committed to his wife and can put that priority relationship in the place that it's supposed to be. And I placed the other references that we looked at this morning there in 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, right up there with that. And I don't want to belabor that any, but he needs to be that kind of husband. He also needs to rule well his family. And like the elder, he needs to be an example of a godly father and a godly husband. Uh, Again, those same passages that we looked at. Now, there is a difference here, though, when we begin to look at the father, the husband role, if you will, or not the husband role, pardon me, the father role. If you recall from this morning, when we talked about the, the children of the elder there, it talked of them being in subjection to the father, that they're not accused of right or unruly, and that's missing from the requirements here from a deacon. In fact, it just says of the deacon that he is to rule well his family. And so there's a little bit of a different standard here, and and I would submit to you that yes, he has that responsibility to raise his children that way, that that his children are obedient to him, as Ephesians 6 and verse 1 talks about, children obey your parents in the Lord. Uh, That idea needs to be there, but it's not to the same standard. And, And what I would submit to you, the difference is is an elder's children need to be old enough where you can tell if they're going to be subject to their father, that they're going to be accused of right and unruliness, and that requirement isn't there for a deacon. And what that means in practical application is for a little bit younger children that might be in the house, what we need to see and what we're trying to perceive is, is this a man that is ruling well his children? Not are they in subjection to him, but how does he rule them? And that becomes kind of a fine line where judgment becomes part of that discussion and looking at that. But when we put this into practical applications, what it really means is those children don't need to be as old as the elders' children that you can see the fullness of that. And I I believe that's what he's looking at, but it's the same basic principle when we talk about this man as a husband and as a father. He's a model of what a Christian husband and a Christian father ought to be. Very, very similar to what we saw for the elder. But there's some other things about his work that I find very interesting or about these character picture that it's painting, uh, statements that he makes that, that weren't made necessarily about the elder. And one of the things that we might could say, well, the elder's supposed to have that Bible knowledge, skilled in teaching, whereas for a deacon, it says he's to have this godly wisdom. And I want us to understand what he's talking about here. And what I mean by that is the mystery of the faith. He's holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. We're going to look at those phrases. And it doesn't necessarily mean that he's got to be able to be skilled in teaching, but that he himself and how he conducts himself holds fast to that mystery of the faith. Now, don't let that phrase fool you. It doesn't mean some hidden thing that we don't know. It's a phrase that we find uh, often in the New Testament that just means something that was hidden that is to be revealed. Paul uses it here in Romans 16 when he says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the beginning of the world. What he's talking about is the gospel. He says this story of Jesus Christ was kept secret from the beginning of the world. That mystery has now been revealed. And that's the same thing that we're looking at in the deacon's life. Does he hold fast to the gospel? Again in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 4, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. That this message that Christ brings of hope 
hope and salvation. And that has a very direct impact on a deacon's work, being able to apply and see in his work the gospel as it is applicable to that. He goes on to say not just the mystery of the faith, but the mystery of a faith in a pure conscience. Not that just he knows and he can recite what the gospel is, but that he holds it sincerely and deeply within himself. That it's a part of who he is. It's a guiding fundamental principle in how he conducts his life. And that's what that phrase pure conscience really kind of means is that he has that sincere desire to serve God. 1 Timothy 1 verse 5, he says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and out of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, or, or sincere faith, if you will. That this isn't a game, it isn't a show. He doesn't just act this way in one place, but that the gospel has gripped his life. And it's someone then that can take God's word and apply it to their life and work. The work of a deacon being different than the work of an elder involves sometimes some very physical tasks. And we have this idea of trying to separate them and say, well, that, that's really not part of the gospel. But it is. Whether it's taking care of the church checkbook or whether it's uh, taking care of the church grounds and cleaning the building, all of those things have an impact on the gospel and our ability to preach the gospel and move the gospel forward. And a deacon is someone that is able to make that connection to all of the work that he's doing for the kingdom as tied to the mission of the church. He's not just doing these randomly. He's not just doing them because nobody else will. But that he sees and is able, not only in the work for the church, but in his life, to see that the things that he's doing and his family is doing is advancing the gospel of Christ. That it's not separate separate from him. And we have this guy that holds that mystery of the faith in a pure conscience so that the gospel message, the mission of the church is integral to all that he does and is able to make those connections. So we have a family man that has this godly wisdom and then we get into a similar section with the elders, not quite as an extensive list, but the same type of list that begins to discuss his moral attributes. And one of the very first ones he talks about is that he's grave. And, and this is a fundamental heart issue. This, to me, is where I think a deacon is really tested and proven on his honorableness, on his trustworthiness, on can you rely on this guy. And that's really what this word grave means, that he is one that you can go to and you can give him a task and he's going to execute that task faithfully. He's not one that you go to and say, hey, can you get this done? Yeah, I'll do that. And he commits to it. And then you come back and the work's not done and you go, hey, I thought you were going to do this. Yeah, yeah, I'll get to that. A deacon is one that is honest and trustworthy, that's able to take the work that he's given and go out and execute that without a ton of oversight on top of him. Notice, if you will, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, the same type of idea of this honesty. And he says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, that's the same word that is translated grave. And he's saying, I want you to have these men that have honesty in part of who they are, that they're trustworthy, that their word is their bond. Uh, he goes on to say, whatever things are just, pure, lovely, good report, if there be any virtue, be any praise, think on these things. I just wanted you to notice that word honest, same Greek word that's translated grave. And so as we begin to look at the morals of a, of a character of a man that will serve as a deacon, we're looking for someone that's honest in their dealings, that can be trusted, that can be given a task, and they will execute that. He ties that very closely to someone that's not double-tongued. And I think that there's a, a parallel here, if you will. He's saying they need to be grave, they 
need to be these people that are honest and trustworthy, not someone who's double-tongued and that says different things in different places, that has uh, an ability to say, yes, I'll do this, yes, I'll do this, but never follows through. Someone that doesn't have that level of honesty and commitment. And a lot of times what the deacons end up being are the branches of the church that's executing the, the, the desires and the mission of the, the church, the plan, the vision, if you will, that the elders put forth. The deacons become the face of that and the contact a lot of times to the community and to the rest of the church in that. And so if you have a man that's not honest, a man that's not grave, but rather is double-tongued, is going to be causing you problems in the community amongst the congregation in that he doesn't have that level of integrity to be the kind of man that God called him to be. Notice, if you will, in James chapter 3, you can read verses 9 through 12 there. I've just got verse 10 on the screen where it says, Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things not not to be. That's the same idea of being double-tongued, a person whose word isn't really worth what they say. You can't trust them. And so we're looking for just the opposite, he said, and that opposite is grave, honest, trustworthy, that can execute these commands. Uh, another moral uh, element that he looks at here is not given to much wine. And again, uh, we talked a little bit about this this morning, the whole idea of addiction. The, the phrase here being a little bit different, uh, but similar idea, not enslaved to wine. We're looking for a man that is in control of his passions, whose life is subject to Christ, who doesn't just fly off the handle with emotional and driven by his physical, fleshly nature, but one that has that under control. Notice if in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 17, he says, Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why should thy die before thy time? That same idea. Don't be over a whole lot of wickedness. Don't be foolish. Don't, don't be out of control is the idea that he's painting here in Ecclesiastes. And it's the same requirement that we're looking at. And, and again, as we said this morning, though the specific statement in Timothy is wine, I don't think that the, the grander picture that we're looking at is not just wine, but is he an addicted to anything? Is there anything that has control over his flesh so that he's enslaved to it, that he's over much wicked, that those things begin to control him, that keeps him from being that kind of deacon that's grave and that can be trustworthy. He adds to that and says, not greedy of filthy lucre. Again, as we talked about this morning, that this is an idea of someone that's willing to cut corners, that they're going to do what it takes to get that gain, even if it's ill-gotten. Uh, a deacon has to have that trustworthiness that the eldership and that the congregation can depend on him to execute the, the request that the eldership and the congregation have placed upon him without a bunch of oversight. Notice in Proverbs 15 and verse 27, he that's greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. That same idea being presented, being that greedy, is going to cause problems. And if you've got a deacon that's willing to cut corners, willing to uh, do whatever it takes to get ahead, this greed, he says, will cause problems for the house. And that's the same thing that will happen to the church if you put in a deacon that is greedy for ill-gotten gain, a deacon that's willing to cut those corners. He's going to bring headaches and troubles and trials. And so we need that man that is grave, that's honest, that can be depended upon and relied upon. And just like we related to the elders this morning, 
When you really boil all these moral statements down, it's about someone that's in control of their flesh. Someone whose life has lived under Christ. A very similar picture, but it's not painted quite as fully uh, for the deacon as it is painted for the elder in the same context. But the same principle applies that we're looking for someone who's in control of their flesh, whose life is submitted to Christ. And then lastly... On a deacon, we get into a a similar area of of three statements here about some traits that are related to his work and the execution of that work. He starts off with, let these first be proved. And this is a bold statement, I believe, by Paul here, or by God, if you will, that helps us really figure out who we're looking for. That idea of first being proved is someone that's already doing the work. And we can make this application whether we're talking about setting someone aside to an evangelist, someone to do the work of an elder, someone to do the work of a deacon. We're not looking to appoint someone to an office and say, now that you're in that office, you need to start be doing these things. What we're doing is, is proving individuals, and he makes a very direct application here to deacons, those that are already serving the church, those that are already rendering their life as obedient to Christ and making themselves and their family available to be servants of the church, that they've been tested and proved. And we don't have any questions about what this guy is going to do because we've already seen it. We've already seen that he's grave, that he's not double-tongued, that he can execute these uh, requests that are made upon him. It's the same word that used in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1 when he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they be of God. That same idea of being proved is the same phrase there of trying the spirits to put them to the test. And so we get this idea of before we set a man to do the work of a deacon, he needs to be proved. And here's the challenging part in that and that, that sets the work of a deacon or, or the office of a deacon as very unique. When we turn to uh, the work of an evangelist, we can read passages in Timothy and Titus and some in Acts and various uh, statements throughout the epistles, and we can find out what the work of an evangelist is. We can read in Acts and, and various places in Peter and in various epistles, and we can find out what is the work that's very clearly spelled out for an elders to do. That never appears for a deacon. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why I believe that is is because a deacon's work is whatever that congregation needs it to be. And that might not be the same thing here as it is a congregation 10 miles down the road or 30 miles or 3,000 miles. His work is unique to here. And so he needs to be proved in this setting that he can be faithful to the leadership, be faithful to this congregation and execute those things that he's been tried. He has to be found in that work blameless. And as we talked about again this morning, that all that simply means is not faultless, not ever have not making a mistake, but it just means that no fault can be laid at his feet, that he's addressed the issues in his life, that he's one that when he falls short, when he makes that mistake, doesn't run from it, but acknowledges that and addresses that and deals with it as a Christian ought to. I mean, that's the standard all of us ought to be holding ourselves to is to not run from our mistakes and not try to pretend that we don't have those mistakes. In fact, 1 John tells us there that if any man says that he has no sin, that he deceives his own self and the truth is not in him. So we certainly can't be looking for either an elder or deacon that stands up and says, I have no sin because that's a self-deceived man. What we're looking for is a blameless man who no fault can be laid at his feet that when failures come he's one that addresses those takes responsibility takes accountability and makes those situations right notice if you will in first peter 3 and verse 16 
where it says, having a good conscience that whereas they speak, uh, speak of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you, accuse your good conversation or your good conduct in Christ. He's not saying to these people here and to you and I that you have to live a perfect life so that when people say something bad about you or about the church, they're going to be ashamed because how perfect you are. He's saying that they're going to be ashamed by your good conduct which is in Christ. That that guides it and directs it, which means when I fall short, when I make those mistakes, I own up to those mistakes and I rectify those mistakes, whether it's repentance, whether it's going to the brother or the person that I've wronged and making that right, that I'm the kind of Christian. And so what we're looking for in these traits of a deacon here that are related to work is someone who's a faithful servant. Someone who will faithfully execute those tasks and has been proved in that realm. And just like we put a deacon, all those from the elder together, we get the same idea from the picture of a deacon that we put this together. We get a character picture. He says it's a man who's a model of a Christian husband and father. It's a man who can take God's word and specifically the gospel and make application to his life and to the work that he's called to do that's in control of his flesh and is faithful in executing that responsibility given to him. That's the picture of the deacon that we're looking for. Very similar in a lot of ways to that of an elder, but quite a, a little bit different standard in that his work is, that he's being called to do is different than an elder's work. And so that brings us to the officers' wives here. I know in verse 11 here it says, Even so must their wives be grave, not slander, sober, faithful in all things. And a lot of times, because verse 10 says deacons, and then, then verse 11 says, Even so must their wives, that a lot of times this is looked at as just the deacons' wives. I want to make a case to you in two ways that he's talking about the wives of elders or deacons in context. Number one, I would point to you there that in verse 11, as we saw that, in, when he says, even so must their wives, when he comes down a little bit further and talks about the deacons being the husbands of one wife, it's the same word there that he's using. So he's talking here very clearly about the deacons' wives, but if you back up in context a little bit earlier to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2 when he talks about the elder and he talks about the husband of one wife, it's the same phrase there. And so these wives that he's looking at throughout the context are the wives of both the elder and the deacon. And, and what I want to do in helping us understand this is look at these four terms, give us a definition, and then look at how that's going to impact and the reason that those character traits are needed and what happens when they're absent. So he lists four different character traits. The first one we've kind of talked a little bit about with the deacon already. It's that vulnerable dignity, quality, or state of being worthy, honored, esteemed, formal, reserved, serious, manner, approach. It has that honesty, that integrity, that vulnerableness, same exact idea that we're looking at in the deacon. And it's saying, listen, a wife must be a person that has that honesty about them. And this isn't necessarily, we could say this for the deacon or the, the wives here, it's not a self that I see myself as a an honest person. It's how everybody else perceives them. A person that's trustworthy and honest. He says they're to not be slanderers and that word slanderer simply means a, a traducer, a false accuser, a devil to defame, to harm the reputation of one by libel or slander. And it, 
It means exactly what we think it means, a slander to be someone that's going to try to hurt someone by the words that they say, whispering them, backbiting, talking about them, causing people to think less of them. He said we need a, a, the wife of an elder, the wife of a deacon, to be an individual that's not going to be running other people down. He said they need to be sober or circumspect, that is discreet, that they abstain from wine, their watch uh, marked by sedate or gravely or earnestly thoughtful character or demeanor, marked by temperance, moderation, seriousness. When you put all this together, it's this person that has this wise behavior that guides their life, that they're circumspect in how they live, that they're temperate and they watch these things. Lastly, he says, faithful or steadfast in affliction or allegiance firm in adherence to promises or observance of duty. That's a very broad category that's saying a, a wife is faithful here. And putting this all together, we see that it's a picture of a woman who is helping her husband and not hindering his work. We're going to look at a, a closing passage here in a minute in uh, the book of Proverbs that kind of drives this home. But what I'd really like before we get to that is to look at a couple of things here about these character traits of the wife and see why they matter so much and why they're important. The truth is, when you ordain an elder or a deacon, you're not ordaining their wife. They do not become an officer of the congregation. God has not given them specific duties and obligations the way that he's done for the elders or the way that he's asked the deacons to serve under the elders. So why is it so important then that we take into account the wives of these men? And we begin to think practically and, and make some applications. We'll see in looking that when you've got some of these things over here that are missing, that it's going to cause problems in the church. For example, that grave, that idea of honesty, integrity, honestness, trustworthiness, because here's the real hard, cold reality, and I'm not saying it's the way it ought to be, I'm just going to tell you the way life is, that the wife of an elder, the wife of a deacon, is going to be subject to hearing some sensitive information. Maybe not on purpose, it may be on accident. It might be them putting two and two together. Hey, my husband's been out studying with his family for, for three weeks in a row now, and, and every time I talk to them, they're a little down, that there's something going on there. They're going to be in a position to learn that information to some degree or another. And if you have a woman, a wife, who's not honest, who's not trustworthy, who's going to let slip some of the things that she knows that's going on, you're going to have a church that's in turmoil very quickly. People's feelings will get hurt. People will walk away. The trust and respect for the eldership will be diminished. Dis diminished? That's not a word. Diminished will be destroyed. I was trying to say those two words together. Will be destroyed and diminished, and their work becomes completely ineffective. All because of a wife who found out some information and passed that along where she shouldn't. So you see the importance for an elder or a deacon's wife to be grave, to be trustworthy, to be honest, to be able to hang on to that information and not let it impact uh, the, the congregation in a negative way. She's not to be slanderous. And if I'm just being honest again with you, let's talk about the reality. When someone steps up to lead, people love it until they start making decisions. And that's when people start going, why did they do that? That didn't seem wise. 
And I'm going to tell you an honest thing that's going to happen when you have elders and you have deacons is your friends here are going to start questioning their decisions. And they're going to say, is that really the wisest thing to do? And when that decision doesn't work out the way the elders or the deacons wanted it to, it's real easy to sit back and play Monday morning quarterback. And you need a wife that if she hears that, it's not going to lead her to want to retaliate. To lead her to this idea of I'm going to slander these people that have whispered about my husband. I had a good friend who was a basketball coach, a girls basketball coach there in Oklahoma. And when I got to know him, his wife always sat on the visitor side. Didn't matter if it was a home game or an away game, his wife would always sit on the visitor side. My wife and I started sitting over there by her, and one day I just asked her, I said, why do you sit on the visitor side everywhere you go? And she gave an answer that I've never forgot. She said, well, if people are going to talk bad about my husband, I at least want it to be people I don't know. She realized that as the head basketball coach, everybody in town was going to have an opinion on his coaching. And not all of it was going to be positive. You know, that's the reality when people step up to lead. I'm not saying that there's mean and evil people here. I'm talking honest human nature that we like to sit back in Monday morning quarterback. Every one of us can tell, sit back and watch a football game and say, well, if the coach would have called this play at this time, they'd have won it. Or if the basketball coach would have done this or that. That's part of our nature. And being in the church doesn't take that away from us. And so a wife who's a part of the congregation is going to, from time to time, hear things that may not be the most glowing thing about her husband and about her family. And she has to be the kind of woman that's not going to retaliate and go, oh yeah, I know something about you. Let me tell everybody about you. You can see how that would destroy the work of the church. So we need wives that are grave, wives that are not slanders, wives that are, that are circumspect, that are sober, watchful, that understand the work of the church because the truth is it's going to take a sacrifice for a man to fulfill the work of an elder or a deacon. That's just reality. People's lives don't break down around your calendar. Someone may be going through the most horrible thing on the day that you scheduled for a birthday party. And guess what? The sheep need the shepherd right then. And it's not always easy to walk away and say, hey, I'll be back. I'm going to have to miss the first part. I'm going to miss the last part. I'm going to miss all of it. And a wife that doesn't understand the work of the church and have a soberness about it, a circumspect about what really matters in life, could quickly be get jealous and envious and not be supportive of her husband following through in that work. And you can imagine a home where a wife that isn't happy with the sacrifices that she and her family have to make to allow her husband to go out and do that work, what kind of damage that could do to the work of an elder, that can do to the work of a deacon. So this requirement to be sober, to be circumspect, to be able to place importance where important needs to be placed is a very important character trait that this woman needs to have. And lastly, that she needs to be faithful. And what, whatever else this all includes, I would tell you it includes a faithfulness to Jesus Christ and knowing the role that she has. Let's be very honest. As husbands, nobody has our ear quite as well as our wife. And a wife that doesn't understand her role as the wife of an elder could very easily begin to abuse that 
and began to get into the ear of her husband and through her husband tried to begin to make decisions for the church and turn him and subvert him so that she becomes, in essence, a she-elder running the church through her husband who just becomes a front man. She needs to be faithful to Christ to understand that her role is to support her husband. Her role is to strengthen her husband. Her role is to equip her husband. Her role isn't you're the elder's wife so you get to make decisions. And when you put all these together, you get this picture of a woman who's not focused on herself, but she's focused on the kingdom and places the kingdom at a priority and she becomes the kind of woman that elevates her husband's work. In Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 23, the Bible says, Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. I find this to be an amazing statement. This is not a statement about the husband. Proverbs 31 is about the virtuous woman and how she lives and how she conducts herself and how her character impacts the community, how her character impacts her family, how her character impacts her husband and his ability to do work. Because of who she is, because of how she lives, because of her character, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. That's a woman that's seeking to serve God by fulfilling her role and helping her husband fulfill his role. Because of her character, her husband can execute the responsibilities given to him. Nowhere is that more important than in our homes as Christians. Every home ought to have that. But certainly we need the wives of elders and deacons to be the kind of women whose character promote their husband and equip and enable and support them to carry out that work of an elder or a deacon. I want to leave those thoughts with you. Uh, again, as we talked about this morning, this idea of, of going back and looking at these things and really examining them and, and, and digging into this, what is the character that we're looking for and what is it we're trying to find? And that you'll look at these in context of them all together, not diminishing any of them, not elevating them, but putting them together as each one matters and each one is important, but they all fit together and paint a character picture for the elder. They paint a character picture for the deacon. They paint a character picture for the wives of these officers. And that that's what we're examining. May God bless this congregation as we continue in this journey. That, that we'll find the things that God wants us to find. And that this congregation will be blessed and that God will be glorified regardless of how this comes out. The study is yours for the day. Pray that you'll take these things with you. As we did this morning, we've not spoken on first principles or sin and salvation, but I again want to offer to you that invitation of Jesus Christ. If your life isn't submitted to Him, if your heart hasn't been rendered unto Jesus, and you're struggling with anything, maybe you just need prayers for encouragement, and your life's not where it needs to be, or whatever reason, Jesus stands ready as was read to us over the uh, communion table before we took of that this morning, He is the great shepherd. He is the one that wants to care for our souls. And if you have a need, don't run from the shepherd, run to Him. And if you want to do that this time, we'd be honored to be your servant and help you take that need. We just need to know of it by having a seat on this front pew as we stand out of sync. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 
647-2658. May God bless you.